You're listening to the podcast of Anthem Church in Columbia, Missouri. For more information, visit us online at anthemcolumbia.com. Good morning, Anthem Church. Glad you guys could join us. Uh, Luke is not our details guy by any means. Uh, so uh, that announcement is if sixth grade on up, we're going to be doing uh, through high school, um, we're going to be doing something. So again, one of our guys that's helping out with that event, his dad like runs a fireworks tent. And he's like, I should have some leftover inventory. And uh, so we're going to shoot some fireworks and have some fun. So if you're a junior high through high school, love to invite you out. All the information's at that info central. So Again, it's a holiday weekend. I know we've got some people gone. If you're one of those people that are listening online later uh, because you're at your and uh, you're you're listening to this because yeah, you're you're podcasting it. um, I would just like to say to those people, like uh, I'm disappointed I didn't get an invite to your lake house actually. And so, if you're one of those people that weren't here, I'll expect an invite next time. But uh, for those that are here, we're we're glad. I know we got some visitors in town because of the holiday. And again. Um, just by God's grace that we can be in this country and thankful for the men and women that, that fought for our freedom, that continue to fight. And so we can do this, that we can publicly gather and, uh, and worship. And I'm telling you, not every place like this. And so just grateful uh, for the opportunity. Um, so we're going to be studying the Bible. We're going to be in the book of Third John this morning. Third John, is this cutting out? Should I use a handheld? Move, move this? Okay, sorry. Um, so Third John, so you can begin to open up to uh, Third John. It's in the New Testament towards the end. Um, it's a small little book. We're just going to be looking at eight verses today. And so as you guys are opening up there, um, I didn't introduce myself. My name's Stan Hayek, one of the pastors here on staff. And so um, <clears throat> my beautiful wife, Sarah, and then we've got four little girls. And so six, five, almost three and then uh, Janessa is the newest one who's almost 10 months. And so uh, it's fun. But we were back in Iowa, which is where I'm from, uh, back in Iowa a couple of weeks ago. And Sarah had to do something. And so I took my older two girls out to our family farm. Uh, and so kind of the rolling hills of Iowa. And uh, it's awesome. It's where my dad grew up. And so we went there and there's a cabin at one of our ponds. And so me and uh, the older two girls got to stay in the cabin and it was fun because there's no rules on the farm. And so here you have like Danica who's six and she insisted that she drive the truck everywhere. Um, and so she's like, she's like driving and I'm running the pedals and, and it's just no holds bar. Like mom is gone. And so with dad, like you can do that. Uh, I think I got a picture. We just stopped off and like, Hey, here, there's like a mulberry tree. Do you got that picture? Here they are just like picking mulberries, right? You don't get to do that in town. And so we're just doing that. Here's the next picture. It's going to require some explanation. Um, those are frogs. Uh, see, in addition to fishing, we uh, got a few bullfrogs. In fact, the girls each got their own, um, which was fun. They are very much dead, uh, if you're wondering in that picture. And so we didn't just kill them for fun because the next picture explains that was actually our supper. Do you see how excited they were for frog legs and fish? And so uh, it like went from hopping around to being cooked and uh, uh, it was great. So we had a blast, uh, the girls. And I just find myself as a dad just growing in my love for them as we get to share these experiences. Uh, and it's so much fun. But um, kind of opening illustration. Um, I realized though, that as 
they mature. And this is an illustration perhaps you've seen in dating. I think it's a good one. But you got my girls here. And then you got me. And here's the reality. Their dad, I'm going to keep running towards God. And there's this thing right now, we can share these experiences, but if we don't share this in common, our pursuit of the Lord, there's going to be a growing distance because as I grow closer to God, and there's going to be a distance. And so it's my hope and my desire that as they come to know the Lord and pursue him, that as we grow closer to God, we're going to draw closer together, right? And so that is my desire. And I wish that I could just instill that salvation in them. I wish that I could just force them to love the Lord. I think that that doesn't work like that. Uh, We have some church history, the Crusades. That doesn't work well, right? You can't force people into just loving God. But I wish that we're trying to lay a foundation, right? We're doing family devo time. We're memorizing scripture together. We're doing everything we can to instill. But what you understand from scripture, Ephesians 2.8, first by grace, that we are saved, that they will be saved. Not by works that anyone can boast, that it's a gift from God. And so my growing prayer and the urgency I feel as I look at my daughters is that God would graciously save them. Not only so that we could have this in common and that our relationship would grow closer together, but that they wouldn't spend eternity apart from God. Does that make sense? And so we're gonna look at a letter, Third John, And we're going to look at John, who's writing to Gaius, who he would refer to as one of his beloved children. Now, that's figuratively, but you have some of the same idea there, that he's writing and he's going to write to Gaius in regards to his walk with the Lord. And so we're going to look at that. So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to dive in. We're going to see what John wrote, what God inspired, and pray that God would use it. So let's pray. God, we do ask that you would teach us today from your text, that you would challenge us from this this little book of Third John, to be more like you, Jesus. And so we just lift up this time and say, God, would you please speak to us? Would you please move in our hearts? We just invite you to do this in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, so we're going to look, um, again, this is John writing it. And here we go in verse 1. We see, uh, it says, The elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth, beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be well, uh, you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. We're going to stop there. Two verses in. We've only got eight to go through today. But we see again that this is John writing to Gaius. Who is Gaius? Aside from this letter, church, we really don't know a whole lot about this individual. But we can learn a lot about Gaius as we study out this short book. And we see that he's this faithful guy. And John referred to him, uh, he refers to him as his beloved, someone who he really cares about. Later on, he's going to refer to him as like a little child. And so um, we see that, that Gaius is this faithful guy. Is he the church leader? I don't know. Is he just a faithful guy within the church? It's unknown. But nonetheless, John thinks so much about his relationship that he's going to write a letter and send it to Gaius. And you see right away that that he refers to him as beloved, but then in verse 2, John is praying for them, for him. And what is his prayer? He prays that he be in good health as is well with his soul. So he prays for them not only spiritually, but physically. And do you understand the prayer there? He's saying, I hope that you are doing as well physically as you are doing spiritually. 
That's a prayer. Can you imagine if somebody prayed that for you? Like, I hope your health matches that of your spiritual health. Some of you are like, that wouldn't be a prayer. That'd be a curse, right? Like, if you're not doing well spiritually, you would hear that and be like, oh, uh, please no. Um, but the reality is, is that would have truly been a blessing for Gaius because he was doing well, really well spiritually. And, but John recognizes it's not only about spiritual health. Physical health is important, right? Ask our teams that are overseas right now in their, what, seventh week of their eight weeks on a, on a mission trip, we got a team of five college students that are overseas right now, interacting and grinding it out. I got to share with Joy that I think it was last week alone, they got to see four people come to know Jesus. That was just last week. I, I have yet to read their update from today, what happened this week, but you asked that team what, you, what they would love prayer for, and that team is absolutely saying, pray spiritually for us, but they are asking us as a church to pray for them physically because there's a connection that if they are not physically feeling well, they can't go out and share the gospel. It's been on more than one occasion, a person from that team has had to stay back in the hotel, locked up, just trying to get physically better. And so they, there's, you have to make the connection that, that physical health is important, right? It's not removed. It doesn't matter if you, you can understand all these mysteries and share the gospel really well, but you're on your deathbed and you can't get out to share that. And so there's, there's, it needs to be both. And you see that, that John has a holistic care for Gaius. He's not just saying, well, how are you doing spiritually? He cares about him enough to say, well, I want you to be well physically as well. Those things aren't unmarried and, and, and one is not necessarily holier than the other. Both are essential to our team overseas and sharing the gospel, and both would have been essential for Gaius to continue to represent Jesus well in that church. And so John's care for him, as one who's overseen, is one for both his spiritual health and just his physical health. And so we see that right away in just these first two verses. And then he's going to go on in verse 3 and say, For I rejoice greatly, when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Do you see a repeated word, right? That word truth comes up a lot. Five times, five times in our text today, eight verses, you see truth uh, being played out five times. And so I brought the notepad, so we're going to use it today at the church. So if there's any any gals out there need to be reminded, pursue a godly guy, you can have this and just hang it in your room if you'd like. Right, that's simple. There. Um, but what is the truth? And so here's the truth. I'm going to lay this out as simply as I know. The truth is that of the gospel, the good news. And even for some, that's like, that's still Christian language. What that means is he's saying you're walking in the truth. You understand the truth. The truth is a great thing. Here's the truth. God lovingly created us, male and female, in the garden. God made it perfect with Adam and Eve. That was God's intention. So God created us to be in relationship with him. But it was through our sin that we have separated ourselves from God. Right? So this idea, if you're familiar with it, this is the bridge diagram is where we're going. I think it bears repeating is that 
We are over here. Wow, that is a weird looking cliff. Bear with me. Pastor, not an artist, okay? So God is over here, and here is, is us. That's a stick person. Right? And this recognition that God created us to be in relationship with him, but our sin has created distance for all of sin and fallen short of the glory of God. That's Romans 3.23. But sin not only leads to distance, sin also leads to death. Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is death, meaning what you deserve for your sin is hell. That's what Romans 6.23 is saying if you're following along. What you deserve is hell. What is sin? Well, God made it very clear when he gave us the commands. He said, you shouldn't take something that isn't yours. You ever taken something that wasn't yours? Okay, we call those people a thief. God said, you shouldn't bear false testimony, meaning you shouldn't lie. You ever told a lie? Liars. You go on to say you should not take the Lord's name in vain. You should honor your parents. You should keep holy the Sabbath. You shouldn't covet something of your neighbors. You shouldn't commit adultery. And Jesus took those and he amped them up. And he said, even to, to be angry is to commit murder. Even to look lustfully is to commit adultery. And so you realize that, that what we deserve for this is to go to hell. That if God is good, if God is a perfect God, 10 out of 10, and here we are in sin, that God, if he's good, can't look the other way. That there is a clear distance between us and him. And, and bridging that gap is only one way. Romans gives the answer. It says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. And so this gift that Jesus Christ would die on the cross to bridge that gap. Jesus would say in John 14, 6, I'm the way and the truth and life. No one gets to the Father except through me. And so if we would confess our sin and believe that Jesus Christ was truly crucified for our sins and rose from the grave, we can be saved. That's it. No other religion can provide that explanation. Christianity alone is not about what we do. It's about what has been done through Jesus Christ. And so what John, and this is where it gets fun, because it's not enough simply to just accept that. While that is essential for salvation, for being saved, John's excitement comes from Gaius trusting that, but continuing to walk in that, continuing to live in light of that. See, sometimes we, we kind of cross this and we accept Jesus, we're like, whoo, great. It's like I see couples doing this all the time, meeting with a couple that's getting married. And it's wedding day, wedding day, wedding day, right? It's like, yeah, there's a marriage that's coming. And like, all this is actually just for that. And I think we say, oh, we just want people to accept Jesus. We want them to know Jesus. It's like, uh-huh. Then they, they pray and it's like, okay, now what? I'm like, well, I don't know. What John's addressing here is Gaius is, has accepted the truth. The truth is in him and he's walking in it. And that's why, that's why we are commissioned to not just make converts, but to make disciples, right? So the, the emphasis is not just simply on, on praying a prayer, that, but that we would grow in maturity. You can think of discipleship. I know, again, that's a church word, but you think of having physical children, 
That's a lifelong commitment, or so I'm told. I'm only about six years into this. <laughs> but I did have a realization, you know, where I'm like, they're going to be around for a long time in their mind, and, and they're going to call me when they need to, their toilet reset for the 15th time, and, and things of that nature. I'm like, that's, I'm a dad now for, for life, right? And so having physical children is a lifelong commitment. Having spiritual children is no different. Man, there's going to be ups and downs. There's going to be challenges, but, the, but that's the call. And you see Gaius being referred to by John as, as one of his spiritual children. And you, you so desire that for him. That in fact, Paul would tell the Philippians in Philippians 4, he would tell them that, that they are his joy and his crown. Like they're, they're so, in fact, Paul would tell the Romans that he's like, if I could just lose my salvation for your sake, I would do it. I so want you to know. I want you to have a relationship with God. And so here's guys, he's walking in that. He's continuing. He's being faithful to stay in the truth. And when, when John hears these brothers bring, bringing back that report, he is just overjoyed. He is so excited that they are continuing in that process. Does that make sense? I, I so long for that. Back to the original illustration for my daughters. And I, I, I have so much joy in personally knowing Jesus. But we're going to see that, that John would say in verse 4, what does he say? He's saying, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Come on now, Anthem Church. Do you understand? Hey, there is a, there's a deep-seated joy and appreciation for the gospel in our life. Don't get me wrong, but, but John is going to go on record saying, you want to talk about the greatest joy that I have? No greater joy than to hear that my children are continuing to walk. We can't diminish the value of discipleship, that, that continued pursuit of people. And you look at the John didn't originate this. Jesus did. When Jesus, for three years, walked with the disciples, pouring out his life, teaching them, washing their feet, modeling for them. And so John's just picking up where Jesus left off and making disciples. I'm saying, we want to come to people to come to know Jesus. And by God's grace, that is happening at Anthem Church. In fact, our college ministry alone, in the first two semesters, our last salt coming, there was, what, 15 students that stood up and said, this would be the year that I surrendered my life to Jesus and came to know him. Praise God. That is, that is awesome. But now is when the work begins of, of making disciples. And so that is why at Anthem Church, kind of our mission is we want to make disciples that make disciples. And again, that's just following up with what Jesus said in Matthew 28, where he said, go and make disciples. And so what I see in this letter right away, in these first four verses, you, you just are catching a glimpse of that being lived out by John. You, you, we're just kept, catching a glimpse. We're just simply making an observation of what is true of John's life. And you would see that in obedience, John would say, I have no greater joy than this, than to hear that one of my children are continuing to walk in the truth. Spiritual, uh, this discipleship demands a long-term view of ministry. Discipleship demands a long-term view of ministry. In the same regards, having physical children <laughs> demands a long-term view. It's a, it's a marathon, not a sprint. Having spiritual children. 
And here's the thing is, is just being able to share that, and perhaps I hit it, but to grab it kind of with an illustration of this joy that I have in Jesus, but the joy that we have in seeing others come to know Jesus, it's like saying this, I, I like to catch fish. But when my daughters catch fish, I actually enjoy that more. I really genuinely do. It's like, I love the Lord. Seeing others, it, it just brings about a different kind of joy and appreciation and a depth to that relationship. And my question to Anthem Church is, are you making disciples? Do you have somebody that comes to mind where you could, like John, say, my beloved, whom I care for, I, I'm so grateful you're persisting in the truth, walking in the truth. Do you have people that come to mind? Because again, that's what we're commissioned to do is to make disciples. And you see the overflow of it here with John? And I'd say we'd be missing out on a huge part of the joy that is ours if we fail to make disciples. And so is it going to be easy? No. <laughs> There's going to be challenges, but is it going to be deeply satisfying and life-giving? Absolutely. And that's what we're commissioned to do. And we're going to see that, that, that Gaius persists in this, and he continues, and, and John's addressing somebody that's on this side, right? It's a believer who's walking in the truth. And we're going to see that next week, as we continue to study this out, that, that Gaius persists despite some serious opposition from within the church. And so he's overflowing with this joy that he pens this, and he's saying, I'm so thankful. I have no greater joy, verse 4. And so what is the truth? This. And, and what he's saying is you're walking in this. You're living in light of this. And so from that, we see just this discipleship. And so we continue, though, in verse 5, where again John refers to him as beloved. It is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers. Again, that's the ones he just referred to as the ones that brought the report back. Saying it's a faithful thing and you do to all, uh, all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. For they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these that we, that we may be fellow workers in the truth. That's our text for the day. Let's break that down. So who are these brothers? Who are these brothers that brought a report back to, to John? Again, this is the early days, right? Scripture is still being penned. And so what it possibly could have been is, is clearly they're believers, people that, that follow Jesus, and they're mobile right now. They're going out, and perhaps these were people that walked with Jesus, perhaps these people that were discipled, by the disciples, but nonetheless, they have an understanding. And so you're going to these young fledgling churches and they were like traveling teachers or missionaries. But again, that term missionary, every place was a mission field at that point, right? And so they would have been traveling around and here they show up at this church to bring the message and perhaps to continue to teach people. And Gaius seemingly receives them really well. And he, and he takes great care of them, and he supports them in verse 5. It's a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers. 
And he references, they're practically strangers to you, but you did well and you send them, you would do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. And so we see that in scripture, there's a couple ways to do ministry. What's happening here is these guys are being supported by people like Gaius so that they can continue to do this work of ministry. I think Paul would tell the the Thessalonians that he worked day and night in order to not be a burden to them. So Paul went into this this town and he started preaching, but he needed money for food and, and he probably needed shelter. And so what Paul did was he worked day and night to raise that money so that he wouldn't be a burden to those people he was sharing with. That's one way to do it. It's called bivocational. You can, you can work and do ministry. It's perfectly acceptable. But what we see happening here is, is John's commending Gaius for saying, you are just financially supporting them so that they can fully dedicate themselves to this work of ministry. Man, if you were in, uh, there when Paul was in Thessalonica, you probably would have been well served to be like, Paul, I'll cover your meals today. Why don't you just tell us about the Lord, right? That you could dedicate yourself fully. And so Gaius is kind of giving and blessing these guys, allow them to be full on in ministry. An illustration that I would use for this, right? To kind of capture what's happening here. You've got three parties. You've got the people that are lost, which they're going to refer to as Gentiles here. Those are people that are apart from God, not of the people of God that are being reached. You've got the worker and you've got the one kind of supporting, Gaius. And so an illustration we would use is like, can you imagine a well and somebody who is lost or who has fallen down in a well? The brothers would be like the people, the workers that are saying, I'm willing to get on a rope and go down into the well, into the darkness and reach that person and pull them out. But in that, you need somebody who's up top holding the rope so that they can go in. Does that make sense? Who's more important, the one holding the rope or the one on the other end? You kind of need both, right? You need both. And, and what John is saying is, is Gaius, you're, you're holding the rope. You're doing, you do well. How do they hold the rope? They give financially. You pray. There's encouragement. And both are, both are needed and each have to play their specific role. And what he's going to go on to say is they've gone out in verse seven for the sake of the name, that is Jesus, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Would it be fair that the people that they are ministering to, these unbelievers who are in the well, they're actually the ones being served by this and in theory should be the ones providing the financial support. But what he's saying here in scripture is they're lost. They're broken. They're hurting. They have other things to worry about right now. And so we do well to not be, to not accept anything from the Gentiles, but instead reaching them. And so at Anthem Church, we agree. (laughs) That's why we don't pass the plate at this church. We wouldn't want somebody coming in who's going to hear about the Lord to feel obligated to, to fund this. Right. In fact, I was doing a, a membership kind of interview a couple of weeks ago where somebody wanted to be a member and they're like, now about giving, I want to give. I just don't even know how I would give to your church. I'm like, it's kind of confusing, right? 
We probably should work on that and make it a little more obvious for a member that wants to give. But the reality is, is, is we don't want to be a burden to people that are coming, that, that are just here to hear. But for those that are mature, those that would call Anthem their home church, by all means, hold the rope. Allow us to continue to minister to campus and community. Join in in that. And one way that you can join in is by giving financially, prayer, encouragement. And so we see that, that they're called to, that we're called to hold the rope. And that's what Gaius is being commended for. And I'm telling you, this is where usually for pastoral staff, it gets a little awkward. She's like, wait, doesn't my holding the rope mean you get paid? <laughs> Yeah, it can get awkward, right? So most pastors altogether would just kind of avoid the topic of money. And so you see churches underfunded and, and, and work, you know, not being funded well. I'm telling you, in the life of our church, this is a really easy conversation for me because I know that this room is full of a bunch of guys like people. See, when we started off, the first message we gave at Anthem Church almost 10 months ago was one of, we don't want to be a, a cruise ship where people come and they're just kind of like this consumer mentality. We want to be an aircraft carrier. We, as a staff, want to equip you so that you can go out and you can share the gospel with your coworkers, with your students, with your family and friends. And so right away, we want to, you to understand that, that we're here so that you guys can continue to contribute. You guys can be the ones. So not a consumer, but more of like an aircraft carrier that you can get fueled up and sent out. And so the reality is, is that is very much happening. How do I know? Well, the gospel is going forth. Of those 15 people that even in the student world that gave their life to Christ, I don't know of a staff person that led one of them to Christ. But it was other student leaders doing that. How do I know? Because one of the last things that people can contribute and how they can participate is usually money. Anthem Church, that has not been the case with you. <laughs> Let's just, can we just worship a little bit? I'm going to show you a graph of what I'm talking about. When you talk about how invested, here's the graph. You see that top right number? See, we expected the people in this church to give. In fact, the bottom in year one, we thought the church will give about 40% of our needs. And so we budgeted that, and that number, 253%, we just finished our fiscal year at the end of June, 253% over our expected giving. <laughs> That's a lot of money over what we thought, because it's coming from people that are so bought in, that are joyfully giving. In fact, I had a family I know that's just like, we're doubling our giving, and we want to continue to give more. You see, college students tithing off of their, their, their jobs is so encouraging in not only the, the sheer amount that has been given well over what we anticipated in our infancy, but also the participation, nearly 100% participation from the whole church to make up that number. It's not just one or two big gifts, but it's everybody contributing. And so it's so easy to talk about money when I'm saying, we don't need your money. <laughs> you guys have given so generously. It has put us in such a spot because you see that we anticipate usually the sending church and kind of our network of churches, usually for the first couple years, that's that bottom kind of bar chart. Usually they're funding nearly half of that ministry. Now, one of our network guys is here, and this might be a shocker to him. We appreciate your check, Ryan Hill. But I tell you, 
Tell you what we did with it. We just put it in the bank. And the reality is that from day one, those coming to this church have fully funded the church and all that money those network people gave, it's just sitting in a bank account and got us in a great position that should the Lord provide a building or something of that nature, we can move on that. So thankful though. So you see that, that I'm talking to guys like people that understand that this is not just the paid staffers that are going to do the ministry, but sharing in the ministry through making disciples and through giving generously. And so to you that give, you have to hear me say, thank you so much. You get it. You understand how we're partnering together to have the gospel go forth. And the gospel is going forth. This church is continuing to grow, and I can't wait for when our students get back. And it enables us to do, you see where the money goes. If you could throw that back up one more time, Nate. You see in that chart up there, nearly 30% of our budget goes towards reaching college students. You want to talk about more of a Gentile group of people that can't afford the ministry that's being done to them? This is often a neglected bunch of students. Why? They, why? They're overzealous. They break things, and they certainly don't make a whole lot of financial sense for a church. <laughs> Seems like exactly like the kind of group of people that Jesus would go after. And so unashamedly at Anthem, we're saying we're in a college town, and so we're going to designate nearly a third of all of our budget to reaching college students. So I can share stories like we did today about those that are coming to Christ. So you can see a band of talented young musicians, right? Then you see salaries and then other just kind of ministry. Um, that includes the global stuff we're doing, uh, regionally, uh, all that. And so you see kind of where all that is going. That's where the dollars go that are given to Anthem Church. Your, your money goes towards us being able to go do kickoffs on campus, to reach those college students doing retreats. It goes towards ministry that you guys can invite people to and, and we can continue to see the gospel going forth. It's a partnership. And I think that well illustration drives it well. And so John is saying to Gaius, we need faithful people like you that are going to hold the rope. You do well. Again, when it comes to discipleship, we can see what John has here with Gaius. But again, he's just taking that from Jesus. When it comes to generosity, we're looking at the example of, of Gaius, but you want to talk about generosity when Jesus, who was perfect, sinless, took on the punishment that we deserve, ultimately giving himself, his blood being shed, and as he hung on a cross, some of his final words saying, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. The generosity that you have with your checkbook is only a reflection of the generosity that we have in Jesus Christ, is it not? Guys, not calling us as a church to do anything that Jesus hasn't already done and is continuing to do as he lives through us. When we make disciples, we're reflecting Jesus. When we give generously, we're reflecting Jesus. It all comes back to him in what he has done. And I want to, like John, just take time, and John did with Gaius, and I want to do with you and say, Anthem Church, I'm so thankful to be one of your pastors. I'm so thankful, and I am so excited about life on this side and that continued pursuit of what God has before us. 
I believe the gates of hell, they're not going to prevail. Is the gospel is going to go forth and is going forth in this place. And I believe, like John, it is to our joy to be on the front lines. Kind of one of the closing thoughts is is we were overseas just a little while ago um, this summer with the team. I thought Anna, she said this well, some quote she picked up, probably some great missionary at some place, but this idea that we're fighting from victory, not for victory. And so when we say the gates of hell cannot prevail against us, guys, Jesus Christ has defeated death, has brought us to relationship with the Father. We're not fighting for victory, we're fighting from victory. And with that, we can go forward with a level of confidence that we have a good God who loves us so much that he didn't even spare his own son, but sent him to die for us, that we could have life and life to the fullest. And so what we're gonna do now is I'm gonna bring the band up And we're going to have an opportunity to reflect on what Jesus has done through communion. And so what that looks like here, if you're new with us, is is we got two communion tables set up, one on either side here. And this just gives us an opportunity to do this in remembrance of Jesus, as he said. So as a church, how we do that is you'll go to communion table as we're worshiping in your own time. And you can take a piece of bread. You can rip it off and dip it in the cup in remembrance of Jesus's body that was broken, his blood that was shed. And for those that would say your trust and your hope is in Jesus, this is a chance for us to remember. If you're not there yet and you're one that's among us, we'd say, welcome. We've got a whole group of people that would want to say, welcome, we're glad you're here. But for those that identify with Christ, this is our chance to remember what he's done. And so if We want everybody to be able to participate. So if you even have a gluten allergy, you can go to that uh, table and there's gluten-free. So I'm going to pray for us as the band plays and then we'll, in your own time, be able to go take communion. Jesus, we thank you that you are so good that you would come and that you would bring us freedom by redeeming us to the Father. So Jesus, it's upon your body being broken, your blood being shed that we reflect now And so thankful that that as 1 John says, we can love because you first loved us. And the reality that if anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. The old is gone, the new is come. And so it's in light of that new creation. It's in light of what you you have done that we want to just worship you and take communion. God, we praise you and we thank you. And I thank you so much for the privilege it is to be on board with a group of bought-in believers that the gospel is lived out through their life. God, praise be to you for that. And we thank you and we pray for more. Uh, And God, we just surrender ourselves and say, we're willing to be used to make disciples. And so we just pray all this in the name of Jesus.